want to share with you a message. The Lord gave me this message a few weeks ago. And I shared it in an open air meeting. I felt like that the South needs this message. The North needs this message. The West and the East needs this message. And I call this God's message to the nations, God's message to the lost, and God's message to the saved. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word to Daniel chapter 5. We're going to begin reading with verse 1. Daniel chapter 5 verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. And in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. And now if you'll go over to verse 24. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, meni, meni, tekel, euphorsen. This is the interpretation of the thing, meni, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Peres, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him, that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. May we pray. Father, we thank you for the power and authority of your word. I pray tonight that I might be a messenger. Lord, I might be able to share uh, my heart, and my heart would be your heart. Lord, for this world, for those that we love, for those around us that are lost, Lord, especially for those uh, of the church, Lord, who need to rise and, and be the servants of God like we need to be. And I pray tonight that there will be many Daniels in this church. And all across this land, Lord, may those of us who know Jesus stand up and be your servants in this culture and in this day in which we live. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Several days ago, I heard a song, or heard uh, the song and the history of the song. Many of you may have heard this. It's called In Times Like These. And I did not know the history behind this song, 
but it was written by a lady during the time of World War II. Her husband was in, was in battle. And she wrote this. I believe she was hanging clothes on the clothesline. And it seemed like that, that the Lord just impressed upon her the message that she wrote in this song. Maybe you've heard it. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Tonight, I want to share with you this message that I believe as we look at this message from God tonight to our world. It was 2,500 years ago that a man named Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall. But I believe those of us who truly know the Word of God and study the Word of God can see that there is handwriting on the wall of our day, of our culture. Now, I want to give you a principle about God's Word. I learned this many, many years ago. Even before I went to Bible college and seminary, I believed that this was God's Word. And then I found out there was something about God's Word that's very special. There are principles God lays down in His Word that never change. We have in our day people that talk about the Bible meaning this and the Bible meaning that. And I want to give you a principle about God's decrees, about what God has decreed will take place upon this earth and in our lives. In chapter 4 of Daniel... If you look there at verse 17, this is what God says to us about the world and about the governments of our world and about the people of our world. Daniel 4, 17, This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living, that's you and I, may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the basis of men. Now, what we find here is a principle of God's decrees. God is sovereign over all the world. God is sovereign over the nations. God is sovereign over mankind. Everything is under His power and authority. God says that. That, that cannot be changed. That is a principle of God's Word. Many applications to Scripture, only one basic meaning. Never let you, uh, anyone tell you there are many meanings to Scripture. That's not true. That's from the devil himself. There is only one basic meaning to Scripture. My job as a pastor is to find that meaning, to, to share the Word of God in that way. So here tonight we're looking at God's decrees, that He has declared things to us, that we can have confidence in that. First of all, we find God's decrees through the written Word, the Bible. The Bible is inspired. It's inerrant, without error, and it's infallible. It will accomplish everything that it it is intended to accomplish. God is all-powerful through His Word. God is all-powerful through the prophetic word of prophecy. Daniel is a book that is a companion book to Revelation. Now, I don't uh, understand everything about prophecy, but I, whenever I get discouraged, I go to Daniel and Revelation, and I know the end of the story. Amen? <laughs> no matter how I feel, I know what's coming, and I know who the winner is. And I'm on the winning side. And so tonight, we, we can relish in the fact that God has given us His Word through the written Word, the prophetic Word, and most of all, through the living Word, Jesus Christ. That we have the access 
by God's decree that Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us. He went to the cross of Calvary. He died, paid the debt of our sins, and through repentance and faith, we can know Jesus Christ and have the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ in our life. Now, there are examples of God's decrees. There are supernatural things that God brought forth. He created the world, I believe, in six days. I'm, I'm, I'm just old-fashioned. I believe God has the power to create the world in six days. I don't believe I need to try to figure out how evolution fits into that. I believe God can do that because God is all-powerful. I believe the, the, the supernatural uh, word of God tells us about a flood that was on the earth during Noah's day. I believe in that flood. I believe in Christ's incarnation, that Christ was, was made flesh and dwelt among us. I believe there are natural decrees of God. This morning when you got up, you saw a sunrise. You go to the beach, you see the tides. You see the seasons are changing here. And wherever you go, you see God has everything set in motion in a pattern of God's decree. There are historical things that happen, and they're not, they don't take God by surprise. December the 7th, 1941 didn't take God by surprise. It did surprise us as a nation. I believe that uh, November the 22nd, 1963, uh, I, I was in high school. I remember where I was when John Kennedy was killed. That didn't take God by surprise. He knew that that was going to happen. When September 11th, 2001 happened, that didn't take God by surprise. God is able to see and know and all things are working for a purpose and a plan by His decree. Now, here we are at the point of our culture. And God has a message for the culture of Babylon. And I want you to don't, don't miss this. God has a message for our culture today. Now, O.S. Hawkins is a, uh, a man of God, and he's written several books. He's written a book on Daniel. And I want to read to you what O.S. Hawkins says about this handwriting on the wall. The handwriting is on the wall. These same fingers had written before, they will write, and they will write again. When God sent the plagues upon ancient Egypt, the Pharaoh's uh, counselor came to him after the plague of the lice and exclaimed, This is the finger of God, Exodus eight nineteen. When Moses was in the wilderness, God gave him two tablets of testimony of the law, tablets of stone written with what? The finger of God, Exodus 31, 18. Centuries later, God... Uh, came and clothed himself in human flesh. And once again, we would read that when he was confronted with a woman in adultery who was hovered over by self-righteous Pharisees, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. John 8, 6. The Lord himself came to Belshazzar's feast and wrote a message of judgment on the wall. We need to be reminded that his handwriting is still on the wall today as a warning to our own culture. Meany, meany, tickle you farson is written across our culture today. And folks, I want to say to you, we need to realize that God, I believe, is speaking to our culture today like He did many, many years ago, 2,500 years ago. And He does it often. Tonight, God is writing on the wall. Are you and I listening? Now, Hawkins says there are things, four things about God's message to Babylon that apply to us today. Number one, Babylon, and like us, had four problems. Number one was their pride. America is a prideful nation tonight. And our pride has, in many ways, is destroying us. 
We are prideful because of we have no sense of remembrance what God has done for us. If you go back into history and in this area of the country, when we were being settled 200 plus years ago, this nation was settled by people that came here and they feared the living God. And in the charters of all the colonies and all the states as we began to form as a nation, there was a sense of belief in the living God. And we've forgotten that. We've tried to rewrite history and you cannot do that. And here today we, we have a, a nation that is filled with pride. No sense of remembrance. No sense of reality or restraint or respect of God. And it seems like in every way that we see today that people are rebelling against the reality of, of God's sovereignty over our lives. And there is something wrong with our culture. Secondly, Hawkins says it's our presumption, our presumption that we have in our day the idea that nothing can harm us. Babylon was, had 60 miles of walls and 20 years of supplies stored up. Now, just think about that. The people of Babylon, they weren't afraid because we, we have 60 miles of walls around our city. We have 20 years of food, so nobody's going to starve us to death. But in one night, this culture collapsed. And folks, I want to tell you, we have the idea that nothing can destroy America. But that's not true. Our pride will destroy us. We are presumptuous people. But thirdly, promiscuity. We have a culture that has turned its back on the morality and the righteousness of God. There is a book by Carl Wilson, and this is what he says. Uh, it's called, Our Dance Has Turned to Death. And it chronicles the pattern of decline in both the Greek and Roman cultures. He says, Men ceased to lead their families in spiritual and moral development. They neglected their wives and children in pursuit of material wealth and power. Men became so preoccupied with business ventures, they ignored their wives' intimate needs and began to be involved with other women. Marriage laws were changed to make divorce easier. Because male and female role models were not in the home, children developed identity problems. Many children were unwanted, aborted, abandoned, molested, left undisciplined. Does this sound a bit familiar to a culture about which we are much more familiar? The Greek... Empire fell. The Roman Empire fell. And I want to tell you tonight, God says America can fall. That we need to realize that our culture is crying out for truth. That there needs to be a, a sense in our hearts that know Jesus Christ, a willingness to stand for the truth. The fourth thing, pride, presumption, promiscuity, perversion. Hawkins says perversion is one of the things that God was addressing in this culture of Babylon. The vessels that were set before Belshazzar came out of the temple of God. When, when, they, when Nebuchadnezzar went in in 486 B.C. and captured finally, after three invasions, the third invasion, he took everything back to Babylon. He took all the vessels that were in the Holy of Holies of God, the temple of God. And when Belshazzar came into power, and he was probably the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you know, it's not enough to drink out of the, the things that we've been, uh, we, uh, we drink out of. We're going to bring the things of God, of Jehovah God, of the Israelites in. We're going to drink out of those things. And here we find that this perversion was the last straw. 
These vessels were set apart for God's own special use and purpose in temple worship. In our own culture today, some of us might be surprised to see this unfold. However, there are other things that God called holy. Now listen. That is separated or set apart for Himself. He called the tithe holy. He said that one-tenth of our income did not belong to us, but was to be set apart for Himself. He called your body and my body holy. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and is sacred and set apart for His use. Like the Babylonians, our contemporary culture has few restraints to anything God calls holy. God calls marriage holy. And yet we have devised ways in our own mind to, to say that marriage can be defined in many other ways other than what God says marriage should be. Children are holy. They're a blessing from God. And yet our nation and our culture has aborted millions of, of unborn babies. The Lord's Day is called the, the Day of the Lord, the Holy Day, to keep it holy. And yet we desecrate it and we don't even think about how we need to honor the Lord in worship in our lives. So there are many ways that we can look at our, our culture and the culture of Babylon and say we're in the same position that they were 2,500 years ago. Now quickly let me share three things about the message of God to the culture of Babylon and your culture and my culture. The first one is the message to the nation. Verse 26, when the handwriting on the wall came, there was nobody that could understand what the writing meant except one man. There was the queen that came to her grandson, Belshazzar, and said, you know, your father had a man in his kingdom that could interpret dreams. And so they called Daniel in. And here was Daniel. He was probably about 90 years old at this time. And here was Daniel, and he stood there, probably gray-headed, standing there and looking at Belshazzar and looking at the writing on the wall, and this is what he said. He told Belshazzar exactly what this means. In verse 26, he said, This is the interpretation of the thing, meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Now, in Daniel, there are four great empires that Daniel predicts it would be on the face of the earth. And Babylon was the first. And we find that this message to the nation of Babylon was this. There is a certainty. And in Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 4, God says your sins have separated between you and your God. Your iniquities have hid His face from you that He will not hear. There comes a point in the life of a nation and a culture when we turn our back on God, God's not listening to us. And we as, as God's people need to be conscious that God, I believe, is giving us an opportunity in our day, in our lifetime. We may be young, we may be older, but God is wanting uh, the message of His message to get to our nation tonight. Amen? And that's through a church like New Hope. That's like a church through a church like I pastor. God says we are to be His voice and we're to give His message. Now, the certainty, number one, the message to the nation is this, the certainty of waiting too late. You know, have you ever waited too late to do something? Have you ever looked at something maybe at the store and, you know, I, I think I'd like to have that. And you look, well, I'll look around a little bit and you go back in 30 minutes and it's gone. <laughs> you waited what? Too late, too late. And you see, it gets more serious than that. Oh, there have been times in my life where I've I said, you know, I think I want to do this or do that. And, and maybe it's, uh, maybe go talk to somebody or do something. And, you know, something happens to that person or something happens in, by circumstance 
and it's too late. You, can, you can't bring it back. And here we find that this, this culture, this nation of Babylon, was waiting, had waited too late. The world in Noah's day in Genesis 5 through 7, God gave them over 100 years. The people of Noah's day, he preached and told them that God is going to judge the world. And they listened to this preacher of righteousness for over 100 years. And guess what? There came a day when God closed the door of the ark. And after that, it was what? It was too late. They had waited too late. Secondly, the certainty of going too far. A society that goes too far. I do not know where that line is in, in God's eyes when a society goes too far. But there is one. We need to realize tonight there is a line that God draws in our world when a society can go where? Too far. And we find that in Sodom and Gomorrah, in Genesis 19, we have a culture that went too far. And tonight, America is in danger of going too far. Thirdly, not only the certainty of waiting too late, of going too far, but rebelling too much. You know, there is a spirit of rebellion across our land tonight. A, a spirit like Belshazzar had in his day. This spirit of just, just shaking their fist in God's face and daring, daring for God to do something. If there is a God in heaven, I dare you to do something. And we find that God will do something eventually. God has a point in time. The message to the nation is there is a certainty that is coming. Now, also, the second thing is the message to the lost the unsaved, and the unbelievers. In verse 27 and 28, Tekel, thou art found in the balances and are found wanting. Peres, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, the message to the lost and the unsaved and unbelievers, and I want you to listen to me very carefully tonight. You know, I grew up and I went to church every Sunday. I went to Bible school. I went to Sunday school and I was there just about every time the door opened. And I got to be 17 years old, and I was not saved. I almost, almost waited too late. Because, you see, for 17 years, I just took for granted, well, you know, somehow God's just going to look at me one day and say, well, you know, if I'm a pretty good guy, that everything's going to be okay. That's not the way God looks at it, is it? So we see that, that God has a message to the lost. And Belshazzar exemplifies that message to lost people. Number one, there's the certainty of facing God. You know, there, there are a lot of people tonight that do not realize that one day they're going to face God. You're going to face God. I'm going to face God. Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to who? To God. Not to Robbie, not to me, not to anyone else, but to God. The certainty of that. The certainty of being judged. Of facing God and God looking at me and you and if we're not in Jesus Christ and have forgiveness of sins, God, will, God says He will judge us. Does He want to judge us? No. He wants our judgment to be on His Son, Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is for you and I to receive the gift that Jesus gave to every one of us. Hebrews 10, 31 says, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Thirdly, there's the certainty to those who are lost not only of facing God, of being judged, but of missing salvation. Of missing it completely. Of going to church, of doing the right things all of their lives, thinking that they were okay. And here was a man like Belshazzar 
that missed salvation. 2 Corinthians 6 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of what? Salvation. Today. And if you're here tonight and you've never received Christ, behold, today is the day of salvation for you. The handwriting is on the wall for every, everyone who is lost tonight. It's on the wall to the nation that turns its back on God. The certainty of salvation. John 6, 44 says this, No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. And I found that, that God begins to speak to us and trouble us and draw us and put us in situations just like tonight. Maybe you're here and God's speaking to you. And tonight is the night for you. Luke 13, 3 says, Except you repent, you'll also perish. So repentance and faith are required to receive God's forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. The final part of this message is the message to the saved and the believers. Tonight, many of us in this room know Jesus. Amen? Sometimes I get discouraged. I've been in ministry over 40 years. Boy, I don't like, to see, I don't like the way I see my culture going. I've got five kids and, and 11 grandkids, and if I could do anything, I, I would do anything physically possible to make things better for them. Sometimes I feel like it's out of my hands, but yet I believe that God is sovereign. Amen? You know, and, and I heard people when we were having our children and I, I counsel to young couples that are getting married, listen, don't listen to the culture saying you only all, shouldn't have any children. You know, the world's in a mess. <laughs> don't have any children. I say have children because God can use your children to help this culture to be what it needs to be. And I tell people, you need to have more kids so that I can get Social Security. <laughs> you know, Social Security's broke, so I... <laughs> I'm a little selfish, I think, but I, I tell everybody I've got 11 grandkids. At least I'm doing my part to get some Social Security out of this. But seriously, folks, God, is, God has a way of using His people. Now, remember, here's old Daniel, 90 years old. And God had used him from time to time to bring him forth to use him. And Daniel was patient with God, and, and, and God knew that Daniel was just there, Lord, when you need me, just let me know. How about you tonight? Can God use you? Can God use you in this day in which we live? Not to sit in a pew, but to go out into this sin-cursed world and to be a Daniel with those people that you work with. To be a Daniel in your family. To be a, a Daniel with those that, that maybe you've known all of your life. Your neighbors to be a Daniel and to bring God's message. Well, the message to the saved and the believers are the, is this. There are three parts to this. The certainty of God's presence and power in your life. Verse 29, it says, chapter 5, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, as we look at Daniel... Daniel wasn't afraid. He saw the handwriting on the wall, but listen, he was the only one in the whole place that wasn't afraid. You know, I hear people all the time, they, they sense there's a sense of fear across our land and our world. Folks, tonight, we can be like Daniel. Man, we can be calm. Man, I don't want to see things bad happen. 
But listen, even if bad things happen, even to God's people, God is sovereign. And God is going to take care of us. Now, the second thing I want to share with you is the certainty of God's promise and protection. Now, if you go to chapter 6, Daniel doesn't stop in chapter 5. In chapter 6, guess where he finds himself? In the middle of a what? A lion's den. Now, you know, some of us have the idea, well, if we're following Jesus, we're living right, and everything's good, God's going to take care of us, and we're going to have everything we need, everything's going to be great. And guess what? Here's old Daniel. Next, next thing he knows is in the lion's den. You never know when it may come. Amen? That lion's den may be cancer. That lion's den may be a financial collapse. You lose all of your retirement. <laughs> you know, you, you lose your home. You lose things that, that you cherish. Maybe even family. Maybe there's a crisis in your family. But yet God's people have a promise that God is there. And I, I, I don't find in chapter 6 that Daniel got eaten by the lions. <laughs> in fact, Daniel 6 says the people that threw Daniel into the lions, then they were the ones that were destroyed. Isn't it amazing how God can turn it around and make it right? And then, thirdly, the certainty of God's plan and possibilities. God will use us. And quickly to chapter 12. Let's go to the end of the book. And look at chapter 12 of Daniel and verse 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Oh, listen. I said when we began, isn't it great to know that we know the end of the story? <laughs> We've got a lot to... Maybe the face, we're not sure what that's going to be, but we know the end of the story. And Daniel lived to see that God had fulfilled all of his promises. He had protected him. Daniel had been a part of his plan. And tonight we're reading the book of Daniel. And we, we read that as Daniel listened to God, how God used this man's life. There were three others that Daniel had as friends, and everybody remembers them. Shad, Meshach, and Abednego. Those four men in that culture had a great impact in the way people saw who God really is. You know, you may feel like that you're just one out of many, but listen, folks, one person, one man, woman, boy, or girl that loves Jesus can have a great impact. Now, I want to close tonight because I don't know where you are with the Lord, but I want to take you to a place that uh, it was 2,000 years ago, 500 years about, after Daniel here. It was a place called Calvary, and the handwriting was on the wall. At that place called Calvary, there were three men on crosses. There was one that was there because he was the Son of God, and he was there to pay the debt of sins for every one of us. For him, the handwriting was on the wall, but that he had to go there to die for Chuck Garner, and for Robbie Langford, and for you, and for me. For Jesus, the handwriting was on the wall because He was there to face the judgment of God for you and me. But there were two thieves on each side of Him. And one of those thieves looked at Jesus and said, If you're really the Son of God, why don't you get us out of this place? And he cursed Jesus. And the other thief looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into my kingdom. And you know what Jesus did when He saw that poor wretched sinner that had committed every sin in the book? And before he died, he looked at that, that 
thief and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. What a promise. How God can take the writing on the wall of judgment and turn that in to the forgiveness and the righteousness that before God, tonight that thief is in heaven because Jesus took the handwriting on the wall for him and for me and for you. And tonight, I believe that there's a message not only for those who are lost. If you've never received Christ, you need to turn to him tonight. The writing is on the wall for you. Young, old, middle-aged, whoever you are, man, woman, boy, or girl, if you've never received Christ, tonight you need to make sure of where you stand before God. Now, the thief remembered, Lord, remember me. I'm a thief. I'm a, I'm a sinner. He repented of his sins and said, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he received Christ because he believed and Jesus forgave him. The church tonight needs also to come before God. We sang a while ago that special music, We Left Our First Love. Somehow we've grown cold and we need to come back. We need to come back to where we, we can be on fire, where we can believe that God wants to use us. In 1 Peter 4, 17, it says judgment begins at the house of God. And in a culture like ours, we need to make sure God's people are right so we can go out into this world and make a difference for Him. I want to close with the last verse of that song that I shared with you a while ago, that little chorus or song that was written by that lady during World War II. And this is what it says. In times like these, I have a Savior. In times like these, I have an anchor. I'm very sure, I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus. He's the only one. I'm very sure, I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips that solid rock. May we bow together in prayer. I know we're going to have an invitation, and I, I would just ask that they would come and prepare for the invitation. And I want to pray for everyone in this place tonight. Whoever's listening to this message, I want to pray for you. Because I believe that God is speaking to our culture, to our nation. He's speaking to lost people, and He's speaking to the church tonight. Are we listening? And perhaps you're here, and I want to just pray for you right now before we have the invitation, if God's speaking to you and you're not a Christian and you would just say, Pastor Chuck, pray for me. Is there anybody here tonight that would be willing to say, I'm, I'm not sure I need the Lord. I'm not sure I'm saved. Is there anybody here tonight? I won't embarrass you. I won't, I won't embarrass you at all. Even if you don't raise your hand, even where you are, you can receive Christ. If there's somebody here tonight that just feels like in this invitation that you need to come, pray for our nation tonight. Pray that our nation, that you would be a part of what God wants to do in America tonight. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those who are defending our nation tonight. Pray for the homes of America. Pray for your home tonight. Maybe there's somebody here that just needs to come and pray for your, your husband or your wife so that you can be a Daniel where you live. Father, we thank you tonight that as we close this service, 
Lord, we pray that the message that we have tried to share tonight has been your message and not my message. And I pray that you will speak to our hearts, Lord, as we come before you. Pastor Robbie's going to be here. Lord, I pray that you will, anyone that would come tonight, that needs to come for salvation, for prayer, Lord, for some need in their life, or if they just need to come and pray and seek you with all their heart. Lord, I pray that during this invitation time that you will confirm that, and Lord, that we'll obey. We'll praise you. We'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.